in a little mini-series leading up to Christmas on the subject of Christmas. And before we just jump right into that, I did want to mention our 21 days of fasting and prayer that we have coming up. This is something that we've done since the beginning of the church. Uh, we, we set aside 21 days at the beginning of every year to fast and pray over that year and just dedicate that time to the Lord. So some of you have been with us for many years and some of you are maybe new to that. So uh, next Sunday we have our Christmas service, but the Sunday after, which will be New Year's Day, January the 1st, we will be talking about fasting and prayer. And then we begin our fast the next day on January the 2nd. So I like to have, sometimes I have a little more time to talk about fasting and prayer leading up to it. But all of the sermons that we've talked on fasting and prayer are on the website. So if this is something that uh, you want to participate in and you would like to get more information on, I encourage you to go to our website. You'll find all the sermons on there. All you have to do is uh, go to the sermon archive page and you can just search fasting and it'll pull up or, or you can scroll through and you'll see the different series each year. Um, and you can just kind of get yourself ready for that. But basically what we do is we set aside 21 days for the Lord, and we begin to cut out things out of our life that are not really necessary, uh, things you know relating to food, certainly, but also entertainment and media and uh, technology and things like that, just to kind of really focus on the Lord. And I encourage all of you to participate in that. And uh, to be a part of that. And we, during that time, we will be having nights of prayer up here at the church on Wednesday nights at 6.30. So again, um, January 1st, we'll be talking more about that. I'll do a whole sermon on fasting and prayer. And uh, then we'll begin on January the 2nd. And we, we like for everyone to do something. Everyone to participate in some way. Um, even if it's very, very small. Amen. You glad to be here this morning? Amen. Praise God. Jason, turn me down just a little bit. I've got just a little ringing in my ear that I can hear. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Let's look together there. They're going to put it on the screen for you also. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Now, this is actually the story of John the Baptist, but it's connected with the Christmas story, right? It's part of the, the Christmas, the whole Christmas package, so to speak. And the title of my sermon today is Christmas Miracles because I love, I love uh, the miracle of Christmas, but it's, it's not just that Christmas itself is a miracle. It seems like there's a lot of miracles associated with Christmas. And even our culture and Hollywood and everybody seems to understand that. I mean, just about any movie you watch, like any Hallmark movie, which I don't watch a lot of, by the way, but any of those type of shows, there's going to be some Christmas miracle. There's going to be something that just, it looks like everything was falling apart and they weren't going to get together or they weren't going to get the house or they weren't some, and then there's a Christmas miracle, usually right on Christmas day, if, you, if it's the best, you know, or right on Christmas Eve, just something magical, something special is going to happen. One of my favorite Christmas miracles like that is Home Alone 2, you know, <laughs> where there, Mr. Duncan has all the toys delivered on Christmas morning in the hotel. I don't know if you remember that. You know, Chris, Mr. Duncan was awesome. He's like everybody wishes he was his grandpa, you know, just awesome guy. But it's like that. We know that that's associated with Christmas. And the reality is, is that there were a lot of miracles around the time of, of Christmas. And I do think Christmas is a very special time. And it's because of what we're honoring. It's because of what we're giving glory to, what we're giving attention to. And so Luke chapter 
1 verse 5, there's this Christmas miracle that happens in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1 verse 5, it says, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. Now, that's something to be righteous in God's eyes. It's, it's one thing to be righteous in your own eyes, righteous in other people's eyes. But it says they were righteous in God's eyes. They were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Again, we're talking about following the law. And it says they obeyed all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Again, if the Bible calls you very old, you know, you're old. So... Uh, this is where they were at. They had no children. They were righteous people. Now, I want to point out just a few things about Elizabeth and Zechariah. First thing we notice, a lot of time has passed here. Okay, this has been going on for a while. This has been going on for a while. A lot of time has passed here. This is something that they have dealt with their entire adult life, this issue. We have people in our church, I know that, uh, have struggled to have children and and fought through that and i 've been even even going all the way back to you know other churches I was in ministry at this was a common issue people you know battle with this and they try all sorts of things and they pray and they believe god and that 's where they were at. This is something they have dealt with their entire adult life and i i don 't know if you can relate you know i don 't know if you have anything in your life that is very painful it, it hurts to have to deal with it. And it's there, and you've prayed about it, you've cried about it, you've sought maybe medical help about it, you've sought other people, godly counsel, wisdom, and yet here you are, you know, still dealing with it. And that's where they were at. This was something they've dealt with their entire adult life. And honestly, it's something that they probably had, something they probably thought was, was over at this point. Like, we had decades of pain over this issue, and now the Bible says they're very old. Most scholars would, believe, would, would say that they're at least 60 or over. And, it, and so the hope of having any children at this point is probably very, very, very small. But they've dealt with it for a long time. The other thing about it is, you know, for a woman to be barren in this time, it was considered a reproach and a severe punishment from God. And so this was another element of it that they were dealing with, was that if you were barren, it was, it was looked at as a punishment from God. Even Elizabeth herself, later in verse 25, because spoiler alert, if you don't know, they do get pregnant and have John the Baptist. But later when she gets you know, pregnant and all of that, she, this is what she says in verse 25. She says, how kind the Lord is, he has taken away my disgrace or my shame. In other words, it was a, to, to Elizabeth, it was a disgrace that I'm a woman and cannot have a child. This is how she felt. This was her emotions of it. And so it was, look, it was very shameful, at least in her own perception, um, because it, in, in the context of the Old Testament, in context of Scripture, a fruitful womb is from the Lord. Those who fear the Lord will have many children, you know, and, and their, their offspring will be blessed and those types of things that you hear all the time in the Old Testament. So when someone 
wasn't having a child, it was looked at almost as if kind of secretly people whispering in the background, hey, wonder what they did. Wonder what their problem is. Oh, they look super righteous on the outside, but I mean, if they were really following the Lord like this, they wouldn't be having these types of problems. So they had to deal with all of that too. And this had gone on for decade after decade. Now, if you've ever believed God or prayed or stood or dealt with something for decades, you can relate to this. But if you haven't, I'm not sure we can relate. Because this is a painful thing that was going on decade after decade. And you can imagine the ups and the downs, the, the hopes of, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, a little change in your body, a little anything. You're like, oh, maybe I am praying. And then the disappointment, no, 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 I'm not. And then maybe one day you're in faith and you're praying. And you're asking God and you're standing on the scripture and you're thinking, okay, it's, it's going to happen. And then weeks go by, months go by, and nothing. And you go, okay, well, you know, I don't even know if God is hearing my prayer. And so a lot of time has passed here. You know, we're only going to read about it in a few verses, but this represents decades of their life. This was whole portions of their life that they had dealt with this. The other thing I notice is that they were very good people. And this is the other thing that we struggle with sometimes and we don't understand is why do things like this sometimes happen to really good people? Did you know that really good, really righteous, really holy people are not obsolete or immune from the problems in this life? You know, it doesn't, it, it, just because you're going through something, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Now, it could, and you could go back and listen to some other sermons I've preached on that, you know, because we talk about that, like sowing and reaping and things like that. But just because you do things right, just because you sow good seeds, it doesn't mean you're going to have no trouble in this life. As a matter of, matter of fact, Jesus said that. He said, you will have trouble in this life. In this world, you will have trouble. Why? Because the world is broken. The world is cursed. The world is fallen. There's evil. There's sin. There's Satan still on this planet. There's a lot of broken, hurtful, difficult things. And nobody's coming out unscathed. And I don't care who you are, I don't care how holy you are, I don't care how big your church is, I don't care, nothing, doesn't matter how holy you are, you're not coming out of this life untouched by the brokenness of this world. Everyone is going to experience pain and difficulty on some, some level. Now, I fully believe that those who follow God, in the end, we're going to come out ahead. Praise God, I believe that. But listen, no one is coming out of this life untouched by the brokenness and the difficulty of this, of this world. And it's because we live in a cursed world. It's not the way that God originally intended it to be. You know, Jesus said, we've talked about that many times, Jesus told us to pray that the earth would be more like heaven, that, you know, the will of God. He said, you know, that the will of God be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. In heaven, the will of God is being done. No sickness, no pain. He said, not even any tears in heaven. All joy, all peace, no sorrow there. But that's where the perfect will of God is being done. Well, on the earth, the perfect will of God is not being done. Because we have a lot, we have, first of all, we have our will that's affecting things. And we have a lot of, the, the earth is cursed, it is broken. And there's going to be pain in this life. And sometimes that pain happens to very good people. And I've seen very good people sometimes, people that are like Zachariah and Elizabeth. You know, they followed the Lord for a long time. And that question, why? They don't know. They don't know why. Why is this happening? Up until this moment, because they're about to find out why, 
But for decades, maybe 40 plus years, because I imagine they were in their 20s when they got married. 40 plus years, they never got an answer to why. All they had for 40 years was trusting God. All they had was faith in who God was and who his character is. And, and I imagine they told themselves many times, I don't understand it now. I imagine when I get over there, I can ask him and I'll find out. But until then, I'm going to just love him, trust him, serve him, follow him, and, and we'll find out why one day. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever found yourself in that place where you go, I don't, I don't know why, but I trust God. So they were very good people. Verse 6, I'll read it again. It said, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They were very good people. The third thing I noticed is that they had a major disappointment in their life that God could solve, but no amount of prayer seemed to be changing the situation. Again, what do we take from that? What do we take from that? I mean, we find out the end of the story with them, so, so we know what we, we're going to find out in a minute. But this is what you always have to understand. When you're walking through something, you will always arrive at a point eventually where you understand it. But in the middle of it, you may not understand why it's happening. And even if that point is on the other side, even if that point is eternity where you get to stand before God. But sometimes when we're walking through difficult things and we don't know why they're happening... You know, that's the mindset we can have is, well, man, God could solve this. I've prayed, I've done, I've done everything I can. And, and you just have, all you have is trust. But let me just tell you, they were, they were faithful people. They were righteous people. They were praying. But prayer is not a magic pill. Prayer is not a genie in a bottle. Sometimes the only thing that we're getting out of prayer is the strength and the encouragement from God to go through what we're having to, to walk through. Now, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful when we're praying and we get answered prayer? I mean, that's a, you're praying and, man, you get the thing you're after. Isn't that wonderful? We've all had that. That's, that's an amazing thing. But that's not, that's not, that doesn't happen every single time because that's not what prayer is. Prayer is not a magic pill. It's not a genie in a bottle. Uh, it doesn't work like that. So really the purpose of prayer is to is to find out the will of God and to submit to the will of God and to get assistance from heaven. But the assistance that we get from heaven is not always just a complete removal of the, the problem or the issue that we're going through. So they had a major disappointment in their life that God could solve, but no amount of prayer seemed to be changing the situation. See, these moments, they tell us a lot about our character, and they tell us a lot about who we really are when we have to walk through them. Because First Peter tells us that in these moments, your faith is tested and refined, and it will come out as pure gold. Your faith is tested in these moments. And look, Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't the only people that, that had this problem or had to walk through something similar. What about Abraham and Sarah? You remember they, that Sarah was also barren, they had a promise from God that they would have a child. But for 25 years, that never happened. And they, they, re, they got into their 90s, right around 100 years old. Still hadn't had a baby. Okay, what about Hannah? You remember Hannah? She was in the temple praying, and, and, then, and then God gave her a son, Samuel. Same thing. How long had she been praying? How long had she been believing? Now, we're talking about childbirth this morning, but 
this, this, could be, this could be anything. This could be sickness. This could be pain. This could be a spouse that you've been praying, a child you've been praying for. It, anything, all of the things that we go through in this life. Look, sometimes people, they go through something for a little while. They go through something for a few months and they think they've, and I don't mean to make light of it at all, because sometimes just a few months can seem like an eternity, depending on what you're dealing with. I don't want to make light of it. But sometimes when you're going through something, you can think you're really doing something. But look, you're not the first person to walk through something. I mean, none of us are. They'd been in this for decades. Abraham and Isaac, 25, Hannah, you know, probably over 20 years. And there are lots of people on this planet that have served God faithfully and have walked through something. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that, that, hey, I'm not the first person to walk through a difficult situation that had to love and believe God and follow God anyway. And we've got to remind ourselves of that sometimes. Look at verse 8. It says, One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. It just says, One day. It wasn't anything special. Doesn't say it was Passover. Doesn't say it was Christmas. Doesn't say it was Hanukkah. Doesn't say it was anything special. Just one day. You're telling me 40 years had gone. And just one day. Well, it was one day to Zechariah, but to God, this was the exact day. It was the exact day that had been planned since the beginning of time. But to Zechariah, it was just one day, one random day. He didn't know anything about it. God had never informed him of his plan. And I, and I think about that as a father that it's difficult when you're a parent to see your kids suffering, isn't it? Especially when you know you could just step in and, and, and at the least you want to step in and at least explain it. You know, you at least want to step in and go, hey, I know you're going through this. This is hard. But let me tell you why I'm not helping you out of this or whatever. They got nothing. They got none of that. They didn't get any communication up to this point. As of why you're going through this. And you know about halfway through. Maybe year 20. It would have been nice for Gabriel to show up then. And go look in about another 20 years. This is going to happen. Then they could have at least understood. They didn't get any of that. So just one day. Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week. And as was the custom of the priests. He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord. And burn incense. While the incense was being burned. A great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, because God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now, this must have come as a shock to Zechariah when the angel said that God has heard your prayer because in all of these years he might have been asking himself that question is God hearing us pray does God know about our situation does God care about our situation all of those questions were answered in one moment when the angel showed up and said God has heard your prayer now let me just tell you I personally have never seen an angel all right. I don't know that I would want to see an angel. Everybody that sees an angel in the Bible seems to be scared out of their mind. I don't know that I would want to see an angel. But I've never seen an angel. And you probably won't either. But does it mean that this isn't true in your life just because you don't have an angel show up and tell you? Because this was true. This was true 
long before the angel ever showed up and let Zechariah know it was true. It, it had already been true. God had heard their prayer. God did know their situation. God knew everything that was going on in their life. They just hadn't had an angel show up and tell them about it. So for us, we're probably not going to get that. We're probably not going to get an angel showing up saying, God knows your situation. God's hearing your prayer. You're probably not going to get that. And that's where faith comes in and we read stories like this and we go, well, I might not ever get the angel, but I, I know by faith that it's true. I know by faith that God does know about my situation and that he has heard my prayer and that he does care about the situation that I'm in. So he said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Verse 14, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Now, i got to just tell you about this, because I have to say I don't really think this is fair, that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit before he ever came out of his mother's womb. Because I'm going to tell you, I wonder if mine came out demon-possessed. They came out full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, and I think part of the reason that God did that was because how old they were. He was like, you can't be raising, you can't be running after a little toddler like this. I'm just going to go ahead and fill him with the Holy Spirit right out the gate, and then you won't even have all the problems, you know, that most parents have. I think that was like a little reward for them. You know, they waited this long and everything. But yeah, anybody could raise a kid if they came out filled with the Holy Spirit right from the get-go. I had to pray 10 years for mine to get saved. But anyway, yeah, that's, that was a blessing. That, that really helped them out a long way because they probably didn't have the energy at that point, you know, to raise a young kid. So that was good. Verse 16, and he will return many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, let me just, there's so much we could say here, but I want to just say a couple little things about John the Baptist and about the call that was on his life. You know, the ministry of Jesus um, and the ministry of John the Baptist were connected. There was, a, there was a partnership there. And God saw fit that for the ministry of Je in order for the ministry of Jesus to be as effective as it was, that Jesus needed a forerunner, someone that would come in advance of him and begin to prepare the hearts of the people to receive the Messiah. And that was the whole ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came and all of his ministry, all of his preaching in the wilderness, it was all about preparing the way of the Lord, preparing the way for the Lord. And apparently it was 100% necessary. It, and people might think, well, it was Jesus. You know, Jesus was going to do whatever he was going to do anyway. Apparently not. Apparently he needed John the Baptist to come in advance and prepare the way, lay the, the groundwork, especially in the hearts of people. And that, you know, he, he says this, look, in verse 17, he says, he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. In, in other words, he mentions fathers specifically first. He says, 
the way he preaches will cause fathers to, to wake up and realize their role and how crucial their role is in raising their children, the next generation. Man, we need that in our day. I mean, we need that in our day for parents to wake up and realize their role and how crucial it is. And that, you know, every generation that comes is, is uh, uh, seemingly getting a little bit worse. Well, that comes to the parents, you know. And John, it says that he had a message that woke up the parents to realize you have a very significant role in the next generation. And you need to quit living so selfish and focus on your children. That was one part of it. The second part, he said... He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Again, we could use that in our day and age. People that rebellious just means, you know, you've rejected God's law, God's way. And we've got a lot of people that have rejected God's way and God's law, and it almost seems like they're, they're hardened and they're deaf and they're immune to truth. But something about the anointing that was on John's life it caused those same people that were hardened and rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Man, and, and uh, that's just encouraging to me because I believe that, um, that God can use us that way. God can still use us to do and accomplish those same things in people's lives. So, when I read this, you know, the, the angel... Gabriel is telling Zechariah about the calling on John the Baptist and the calling on his future son's life. And this is all news to Zechariah. This is shocking. He, not only does he find out we're going to be pregnant, he finds out that my son has a call of God on his life that seems to have been planned from the beginning of time. Like he's a very crucial piece in the overall plan of God. And I think about how Zechariah and Elizabeth never really knew their true calling. But they're, he's finding it out in this moment. And that's so significant. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth would have lived their whole life and probably wondered, you know, what, what's our purpose? What's our role? I mean, we're, we're doing these little things. And then all of a sudden, at around the age 60, they're finding out, nope, I had a plan for you all along. You're going you're gonna to be the parents to one of the most important figures in the New Testament. And you're going you're gonna to raise him in a godly way. And he's going to affect all of these people. And like all this is just hitting Zechariah at once. Because I can imagine, you know, as we get older, sometimes we question those things. And we go, man, what is really my purpose? What, did I really do what God called me to, to do? And am I doing what God really called me to do? And late, late, late in life, Zechariah and Beth are finding out that... They never even really knew the true calling that they had on their life. And he's finding it out right in this moment. Now, Zechariah being Zechariah, verse 18, said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, when I read this, I'm thinking, how, how can you be sure this will happen? I mean, how many times have you seen angels? How many times have you had an angel show up and tell you something directly from the throne room. And, you know, Gabriel gets offended. I mean, he really does get offended. He, he doesn't understand that question. Zachariah says, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along. I'm sure Gabriel's thinking, you think I didn't know that? You think I'm not aware of that? That's why I'm here. So verse 19, the angel said, I am Gabriel. Like, he's offended. You could tell. He's like, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the very presence of God. And it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at their proper time. Now, my, you know, I call, I'm going to write a Bible translation one day. This is called the redneck paraphrase. But <laughs> if, if I was Gabriel, I would, be think, I, I would have said to Zechariah, I would have said, five minutes ago, all right, five minutes ago, I was standing in the throne room of God. He turned to me and said, Gabe, I want you to go bring this message down to Zechariah. I came all the way down here to deliver it to you. And these words are coming straight from God. All right, the one, the one who has to be careful when he speaks because planets are formed. All right, these are the words that he gave me to tell you. And you're going to stand here and look at me and say, how do I know this is true? I wonder why God picked you. I'm having problems here figuring this out. No, I'm just kidding. But Gabriel really was seemingly offended. And I, and I think Gabriel was offended because I think angels sometimes get confused with humans. And even like the relationship with God with humans. Like, God, why do you care so much about these people? You know? Um, but Gabriel was like, man, what is wrong with you? I just came from the presence of God with this message. And you, you're questioning it? Now, my question about verse 20 is, I've read this for years and wondered this. I don't really know the answer exactly. But... See, he says in verse 20, he says, Since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So here's the question. The question is, was Zechariah being silent, was that a punishment because he didn't have any faith? Or was he actually made silent because his negative words were going to affect whether or not this happened? And there's, a, there's an element of what he says here. He says, you'll be unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at their proper time. Almost like, hey, what I prophesied is going to happen, and so I'm shutting your mouth so you can't speak any negative words of doubt over this situation. I don't know which one it was, but I think both are plausible. Verse 24. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and went into seclusion for five months. And this verse 25. How kind the Lord is. She exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace. Of having no children. So let's just. I want to make a few important points about this passage. And some of them we've kind of talked about. But number one. Which we, we talked about already. Is that good godly people experience disappointing things in this life that are hard to explain. Okay, that happens. But what I also believe is that God is faithful and God is just. And in the end, all things work together for the good of those who love him. This is Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Paul said this, and we know that for those who love God... All things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. What does that mean that all things work together for good? Does it mean that only good happens in your life? No. But it means that no matter what happens, God has a way of working it for your good. And I don't think there's a separation in God's mind between this life and the next. In other words, when he says all things work together for your good, I don't think he means here on earth only. I think he's including eternity in that. 
so one way or another, I, I mean, every good person who's walked this, this earth, I can't promise to you that in the end of your short life here on this planet that it's going to seem like all things have worked out. I don't know if that's the case or not. But I do know that when you get over into eternity, that all things will have worked together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And so one way or another, God will be just. One way or another, you're going to get, you're going to get the, the reward for being faithful and living the life that God called you to live. Okay, the other thing I see is that just because you are experiencing severe difficulty or disappointment doesn't mean that God has not heard your prayer. It doesn't mean that God is not working behind the scenes on your behalf. This is another issue that Christians, that Christians fall into. I should say people fall into because I see this in the Gospels too where the disciples, you remember when the disciples were in the boat and a storm came and Jesus was sleeping in the back? And the disciples are all upset because they're in the storm. They're about to drown. They feel like the boat's going to be overturned. And one of the disciples goes to the back of the boat and they shake Jesus. And their first question is, the first question when they shake Jesus is, Master, do you not care? That's his first statement. Do you not care about us? And why is he saying that? Well, because you're not doing anything about it. If you do care, we can't tell because you're in the back sleeping and our lives are at risk and you're back there sleeping. So be, you're in activity because you're doing nothing. Doing nothing, it must mean that you don't care. And that's easy for people to fall into, believers to fall into that place where we're praying, we're suffering, we've got difficulty, we got, and we don't know the answer to the question. And then we kind of that kind of slips up in our mind and we go, well, I mean, does God even care about the situation that I'm going through? Does God even know? Is God hearing my prayer? Well, one thing we find out from this passage with Zechariah and Elizabeth is that, yes, God knew all about it. He cared all about it. And he sent an angel to tell them, God has heard your prayer. This happens other times. You remember God sent an angel to Daniel. And he said, With the, from the very first day you prayed, God heard your prayer. It took me, you know, some days to get here because he was fighting spiritual warfare. That's what the angel tells him. But he said, from the very first day that you prayed, God heard your prayer. How many of you know that that is true for so many of us and so many of our lives, even though you may not be seeing the result? God's heard your prayer. God's heard your prayer. God cares. God knows. And look, it is no challenge for God whatsoever to give his 100% attention to you as if you were the only person alive on this planet. It doesn't stress God out. It doesn't tax God's ability at all that there's like, you know, almost 8 billion people. Okay, that doesn't tax God's abilities one bit. That's not how he works. When you pray, it's as if you're the only person on the planet that he's listening to and that he's involved with. So it's not that he's not hearing your prayer, but like in the case... Of Zechariah and Elizabeth, there was a timeline. Can you see now when you see their story that John the Baptist could not have been born one day earlier than he was? There was a timeline, and his, his ministry was connected to the ministry of Jesus, and John had to be born when he was to prepare the way for Jesus. And so it was never going to work for him to be born even six months before. There was a timeline that God was working on. That, by the way, Zechariah and Elizabeth were never given insight to. 
They were never told the timeline. And I, you know, I'm going to ask God about that when we get there. I have a few questions. I'm sure you do too. But I, I would like to know, you know, we're all for being part of the plan, Lord, but maybe you just want to let us in on a few things along the way. Like, you know, just tell us what's going on. But that's not how he works. And this is what he says. He says, faith, trust me, believe me, have faith and trust. It seems like faith is like the currency of the spiritual realm, spiritual world. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And just believing, trusting, having faith seems to be one of the primary things that God is looking for. I mean, it's the way that literally we obtain salvation is through faith. So it's the most important thing to God. And this is hard for people to hear sometimes too. But you walking in faith, living by faith, standing in faith is more important than you actually obtaining the outcome of your faith. And I know that's hard for some people to hear because they're like, well, what's the point of the faith if I don't get the thing? Look, it's your faith that's valuable to God. It's, it's your faith that is pleasing to God. And when you stand before God, there's going to be both kinds of people. There's going to be people that stood in faith and never got the thing they were standing for. Hebrews talks about that. There's going to be people that stood in faith and never got the thing. And then there's going to be people that stood in faith and did get the thing. But both are going to have that equal standing before God because both stood in faith. And it wasn't about whether you received the outcome or not. It was about standing in faith, staying in faith, and, and keeping your heart and your mind right before God. And if you're here and you go, well, I, you know, I don't really know and understand the, the purpose of that or why that is so important to God. Well, that's a whole other sermon. There's a lot of information we could say on that. But I'll say this again. When you get there, the light bulbs are going to be going off left and right. And all of our mind, we're going to go, oh, my, this makes so. There's not going to be anyone that gets to the other side and hears the full plan of God and why it was done the way it was done. There's not going to be a single person there that hears it all and then goes, well, I still, don't, I still don't understand. I still don't agree. I still don't think that's how you should have done it. Every person is going to go, that's brilliant. That The way God did that, it just couldn't have been done any other way. And that's where faith and trust comes in. So the reality is God was hearing their prayer all along, but their reality felt like he was not hearing their prayer. And that's the same for you. Sometimes your reality can appear like God is not listening. And when we're not getting answers from God, that's when sometimes our minds begin to fill in the blanks. And that's a very dangerous thing to happen because your mind starts filling in the blanks. And sometimes other people will start filling in the blank. And that's why you got to be careful who you talk to. Because people will start filling in the blanks. You remember that happened with Job where all his friends are gathered around Job. And they're saying, well, this is why these things are happening to you. It's because of this, this, and this. And guess what? When God showed up, he said every one of them was wrong. Every one of them was wrong. None of them said what was right according to me. According about me. So when, when you don't know what's happening, your mind will want to fill in the blank. So you've got to have a very, you've got to have a few things, a few pillars that you hold to. Number one, God is good. God is faithful. God is just. God cares about my situation. God is hearing my prayer. And you hold to those things, knowing those things, believing those things, and you don't let your mind fill in the blanks. 
on other things. So God had a timeline. The last thing I want you to know this morning is that you do serve a God of miracles. And you never need to forget that. We serve a God of miracles, and the Bible tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he changes not. And the miracle that Zach, Ariah, and Elizabeth experienced is not the miracle that everyone in their situation experienced. But guess what? There are a lot of people in their situation that do experience those types of miracles. There are a lot of miracles that still happen on this planet today because we serve a God of power and we serve a God that still does miracles. This is the God that we serve. What is a miracle? What is a miracle anyway? Well, a miracle is something that it couldn't have really happened in a natural way. It it required heaven's involvement. That's what we kind of consider to be a miracle. Something that required heaven's involvement to make it happen and it couldn't have happened without God's involvement. But all it is, is is just heaven getting involved in the earth realm. And that still happens today. And there is no, uh, there is nothing that I think could be more displeasing to God than to relinquish that fact. You know, for for his kids and those who follow him and study the word to come to a place where we go, I don't think God does miracles anymore. There is nothing that is further away from faith that I can think of than coming to that, that place. So, but what is that? Well, that is a, that is un, that is a lack of, of faith and it is unbelief in who God is and the God that we serve. God is a God of miracles. All through the Bible from cover to cover, he's a God of miracles. He's a God that performs miracles. He's a God that hears the prayers of his saints over and over and over again. So don't ever let yourself fall into that trap of going, well, I don't know, you know, if, if God does miracles anymore. I don't know if, you know, because uh, I, I know a lot of people that have prayed over a similar situation that I have and they didn't get a result. Look, it doesn't matter. You pray anyway. You pray and stand in faith anyway because your faith is not in what happened to them and you don't know why what happened to them and you don't know God's plan for you. Just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, they don't know God's plan for them and why it happened the way that it did. That's not your job. Your job is to go, I know who God is. He tells us to pray. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe for God to get involved until, I, until he tells me different. Because I'm telling you that we still serve a God of miracles, and you don't ever need to give up on that. We serve a God of miracles. Look at what the angel, same angel, Gabriel, told Mary a few verses later. Luke chapter 1, verse 36 It says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. For this is the sixth month where her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, this comes, this is not from man. This came straight from the mouth of Gabriel. This came straight from God's personal messenger angel. Gabriel is one of the archangels. He says, I was right in the throne room of God. And he comes with this message to Mary. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. When Jesus says this same thing, when he's on on the earth, he says, for nothing will be impossible with God to those who believe. So our faith is connected to whether or not 
things will be impossible. But here's the thing. We serve a God that does the impossible. That's who our God is. That can still happen and still does happen in our lives. So I want to encourage you with this around Christmas. Look, just, just stretch your faith out there. There may be things in your life that you think, well, I've given up praying on that because I prayed for so many years and never saw that happen. Look, I, I want to re-energize your faith this morning to say, hey, maybe pick that up again in prayer. I, I, I don't think that Zechariah and Elizabeth were just on this mountaintop of prayer for 40 years. There's no doubt they gave up hope. There's, there's no doubt they went through times of struggle where they were like, I guess this, this ain't going to happen. And then maybe they got energized and they started praying again. There's nobody that's just a faith giant that's just always on the mountaintop. Okay, every one of us have these, these lows and these highs. But I want to encourage you, if, there, if there's things in your life that you, know, you prayed about at one time and are still an issue, still going on, look. Just pick up that torch of prayer again and say, God, I choose to believe that you're a God of miracles. I choose to believe that you're a God that does the impossible. And I'm going to keep praying over this because I believe you're hearing my prayer just like you heard Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer. And I want to tell you this too. Most of the time, I should say all of the time, when you hear about an answered prayer or you hear a miracle, even in Scripture, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, when you hear about a miracle, you're hearing about the highlight reel. When I was in, uh, when I was in, bas- when I was in high school, I played a lot of basketball, and there was a couple, uh, you know, I, for a long time I thought I was going to the NBA. Okay, I, I don't know where that came from. That was, I was pretty young. But anyway... I, I loved it. I was very, very, very dedicated to it. And so there are a few schools that I was talking to when I came my junior, senior year, talking about maybe playing, but not, not, no big schools, nothing like that. But just And one of the things they sent me, uh, uh, one of the schools sent me a letter, and they said, we want you to send us uh, some game film of, of you playing basketball. And one of the things they put in there specifically, they said, no highlight reels. <laughs> Why? Because we don't want to see all of your best moments. That, we don't want to see a collection of your best moments that you tailored and put together to show us who you are and how you play. Because the worst player on the planet can put together a highlight reel, right? No, we want to see the full, the full thing. Every, every wrinkle, every problem, every issue, we want to see the full thing. No highlight reels. And let me tell you, when you hear about a miracle... You're, you're, you're hearing the highlight reel. You're seeing the highlight reel. You don't see, you're seeing one moment. You're seeing one tiny moment where the angel showed up and we all get goosebumps and we're like, whoo, this is awesome. And you know nothing about the 40 years that they walked through up to that moment. But Zechariah and Elizabeth could write a novel. They could, they could write a book this thick on the challenges of 40 years of walking up to that moment. And, and I remember... When I first went in the ministry thinking this, I'm thinking how many preachers I heard preach that would tell miracles. And I, I begin to realize, uh, as I was in ministry myself and having some challenges and issues, I begin to realize, I don't think they told the whole story. I'm beginning to see they are just telling the moment. And they don't mean to. There's nothing wrong with it. You're just telling the moment. But how do you explain the years of walking by faith and the ups and the downs and the, and the times you almost gave up and the times you got mad and the times you threw up your hands and all on the, and the times you cried and the times you did something stupid. out and, and 
you, you miss all of that, but that's part of everybody's story. But you don't hear that when you hear the miracle. And so here's what I'm saying. You, you read this and you go, oh, they just, must, they just must have been such great people of faith. You know, and they, they probably never even had a doubt over it. Look, let me just tell you, they, they had problems. They had doubts. They had issues. They were just like you. They were just like me. They were not something special. But, they, but through the 40 years, they, they did one thing. They held on to it. They held on to it. And they never completely gave up. And so that's what I want to encourage you with this morning is can you believe going out of this room this morning and with Christmas being next weekend, can you believe that you still serve a God of miracles? Can you believe that God can still move in your life in these different ways, in these different situations? And if you do, I I believe in Christmas miracles. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be anything magic about Christmas, okay? But I do believe in Christmas miracles, and I believe that we serve serve a God that nothing is impossible with Him. Amen.